Thank you again, worship team. Boy, it's just nice to be. It's, it's a Labor Day weekend, and you guys decided to come to church anyway. Or let me rephrase that. I, 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 we say come to church, and we know we didn't come to church today. We are the church today. And when we leave here, we're going to be the church out there in that community. So remember that, all right, guys? But I'm glad you came to worship with us today and, uh, and enjoy all of that. Um, it's, just, it's just nice. I want to let you know, guys, when we're in here worshiping, this, uh, at the same time, we've got, we've got guys in the back that are, that are making sure all the lights and the, and, the, and the video is working properly. We've got people over in Kidsville that are ministering to our kids there and just uh, trying to give them age-appropriate and just proper um, uh, instruction in the Lord over there at this point, too. So, guys, there's lots of things going on good at our church, and so I am glad you were here. Today, we're going to get back into Mac, to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to talk about reactions to the gospel. Now, what happens when the gospel, the message of Jesus, that's our gospel is just the Greek phrase for good news, and we've appropriated that to mean the message of Jesus, what happens when it comes into contact with culture? There are times when it's well-received, like at Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. But if you're like me, sometimes the reaction of the gospel is more like the reaction of sodium when it comes in contact with water. Let's take a look at it. It's a chunk of sodium thrown into water. nowadays it does but it's always been that way so as we look into acts chapter 17 we're going to find out what happened with these guys so if you remember previously in the acts of the apostles paul and silas had been in philippi and they always want to do that like like a like it's something on you know like it's a netflix series previously on acts of the apostles you know um paul and silas have been imprisoned in philippi god rescues them out they, they form a church there in philippi but the leaders of the community very nicely but urgently ask them to get out of town so they do and so we pick up in chapter 17 of them traveling to the next city so here we are starting in verse 1 of acts chapter 17 as they passed through amphipolis and apollonia they came to thessalonica where there was a jewish synagogue as usual paul went into the synagogue and on three sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead. And it has a, this quote from him. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Now some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of leading women. Now some of your translations may say not a small number. It's, that was an idiom back then. It just means, if you want to put it in vernacular day, a bunch of of the of the god-fearing greeks and a whole lot of leading women so that's what it basically means there continuing in verse 5 but the jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and started a riot in the city attacking jason's house we'll get to who jason is in a little bit they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly when they did not find them they dragged jason and some of the brothers meaning christians some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. 
they are acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. And after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. We're going to keep going. What happens next? As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters, again, that was a term for the Christians back then, sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. There, people were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they had received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things, the things Paul was saying, were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men. But, the Jews from, but when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to the coast, but Timothy, Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. After receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for your word and how you've used it for centuries now to help us see a clear picture of Jesus and of what you're doing in your interactions with people who, who choose to follow you. Thank you, Father, for the story of Paul and Silas. Thank you for Luke who recorded it. And Father, we thank you now for your Holy Spirit who will help interpret it into our lives so that we can serve you better, love you better, and be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, today we're going to look at three reactions that people had to the gospel. The first one I see in here is what I'm going to call the faithful response. Okay, the faithful response. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy left Philippi and traveled to Thessalonica. Now, that's just in one verse right there, and it sounds like it's just a simple Sunday drive, right? But what you don't realize is the trip from Philippi to Thessalonica was about 100 miles. Now, 100 miles is not so bad today. Yesterday, I drove over to Oakland to go to Oakland Abe's game with friends from my, from my previous church that I worked with in Fremont, which means you can, guys, invite me back to fun stuff after I'm gone, okay? So, all right, when things are going on, just not a day game with the Grizzlies in the middle of August, but some other thing other than that, all right? So if you're having a day at the park or something like that, I'm happy to come back. So I drove over there, and I drove back, and it was just, it was easy. That was like 150 miles round trip. No, 200 miles round trip, so not, not, that, not that hard at all. But for them, it was. So remember, because remember what had happened here. All right, first, um, it was about a three-day journey. And remember, Paul and Silas had been imprisoned and beaten in Philippi. They were beaten there. They were put in the stocks. Remember, they said they put their feet in locket with a, you know, spread their feet about as far as part they'll go, and then another foot just for good measure, and then lock their feet together in that position. So they were either traveling by horseback, which hopefully they were, or they may have been walking. If they were traveling by horseback, it would have been about a three-day journey. So then when it talks about going to uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, those are probably the, where they spent the night there. Now, why didn't they stop at these cities? Well, we don't know for sure. Might have been because there's no synagogue. Or no. But if they were walking, it was probably a nine-day journey. So it took them a while. But they had some pretty good road to travel on. I've got a map up here. They were traveling what's called the Ignatian Way. You've heard about the Roman roads, and you've probably heard of the Appian Way. The Appian Way was one of the, like, the, big, the big famous Roman road. Well, the Ignatian Way went from what, now this map, again, I'm using free maps because I want to be, you know, I want to violate copyright and stuff. So it's a little bit weird map. But you see over there on the very far side, that's Constantinople, or the present day Istanbul. And the road went all the way over there to Duras on the coast in the Adriatic Sea. 
And then it was, that was the closest you got to the Appian Way, the Appian Road. So that was a major road for moving Roman troops. So it was a very good, safe travel. They traveled from there, from Philippi to Thessalonica. Again, about 30 miles, close to 30 to 35 miles to, uh, to, um, to uh, what were the names of the towns again? I had to remember here. Amphipolis and Apollonia, another 30 to 35 miles. Then finally, they got to Berea. So now they may have been, Paul's original strategy may have been to go all the way to Rome. I mean, that's sort of Paul's initial thing, so that may have been his plan, but he got thwarted in that a little bit. As we will learn, as we've seen in Acts already, sometimes the plans that we make, situations change, and God has to help us make other plans. So that's where they're going there. But, but I want to stop at this point and say that, um, that Paul, thinking he was you know, going to the major cities, went to Thessalonica next. Thessalonica was the current, at that time, capital of Macedonia. It was a larger city, and it was what was known as a free city. You remember, you've heard the name Anthony and Cleopatra? That actually was a real thing there, and Anthony and Cleopatra, and they had had their war, and when, and when um, uh, Mark Anthony and, and um, uh, the, the things of trying to kill uh, Brutus and Cassius, trying to kill Julius Caesar, that caused a big war, and Thessalonica sided with Mark Anthony and his troops, and so when the, the, the Caesar that he was associated with at that point became Caesar, granted them free city status. Here's what that meant. They weren't a Roman colony, so people who were there weren't Roman citizens, but they were able to rule themselves. They didn't have to follow exactly all the Roman laws. So even though they still paid taxes and things, that kind of thing, they still had Roman soldiers there, they had a little bit more freedom. They had their own local government and not just a Roman government that was there. So it was a really nice place, and Paul thought, maybe I'll have more freedom here. Boy, was he wrong. We're going to find out, okay? So sometimes we think something's going to be good, and uh, it doesn't always happen that way. But here's an application I want to make for you guys. As I said, remember that Paul and Silas had been roughly treated in Philippi. They were most likely wounded and sore, yet they traveled 100 miles, maybe even on foot, to be able to share the gospel. So I want to remind you guys today, if our culture is going to come in contact with the gospel, sometimes it's going to take work on our part. Now, hopefully you won't have to walk 100 miles after being beaten, but you might have to walk next door after working a long day to share with your neighbor about the gospel. It might mean that you come in and you're, you're planning, just I just want to sit down and watch Jeopardy or whatever it is that your big deal is, okay? I'm thinking about my mom at this point. That's her thing, watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. Um, I better not say anything. My mom might watch this. So never mind. Mom, it's, those are wonderful shows, and you keep watching them, okay? So... Anyway, um, it's always nervous when you realize we're actually on YouTube. By the way, welcome, Paintbrush. We're glad to have you guys here, too. I forgot to mention that. We are so glad you're a part of our worship with us today, and we will see you this afternoon at 2 o'clock in person, okay? Um, so just saying that, that you're going to have to maybe delay what you are looking at doing and be uncomfortable sometimes to get the gospel to somebody else. And I'm saying that to myself as well as you. There's times that I'm just thinking, I, I don't oh, I don't want to share right now. I'd rather do this. And that's, there's a word for that in the Bible. It's called sin. That's me wanting to do what I want to do rather than what God's doing. So just a, just a little quick application there. Remember, if Paul and Silas could walk 100 miles after being beaten to go share the gospel, we can go next door or to the next cubicle or wherever it needs to be to go reach the gospel with somebody. So anyway, back to our passage. So the team goes to, the, goes to Thessalonica. By the way, Luke has left them at this point. Remember we said earlier that Luke had picked, they'd picked up Luke in, uh, in Asia Minor, in Troas, before they came to Europe. And then for the 
all of chapter 16, you see Luke using the term we. We did this. They did this to us, that kind of thing. But in this portion, it goes back to the they, they and them. So we know that they left Luke probably in Philippi. That may have been where he was from for all we know. But, that's, but they left him there. We'll pick up Luke later on in Acts. But right now, so they're without them. So it's Paul and Silas and Timothy who are traveling. There may have been some other people with them. Luke just doesn't mention everybody who's there. So we're back there. So they go to the synagogue. That was their basic modus operandi. Maybe Apollonia and, and, um, and, uh, and Philippus didn't have synagogues. That's possible because Philippi didn't. But they go here to the synagogue. And they're there for three Sabbath days. Now the Bible doesn't say they were only there for three weeks. But for three Sabbath days in a row, or we, we think in a row, Paul taught them about the Messiah. Now, that would be pretty common because Paul was a Pharisee. We think he had been a member of the Sanhedrin, so he was like a visiting guest coming in. So that was like, that was like he was like the adjunct professor of, of Jewish theology coming in, and there to the synagogue there. So they were like, yes, come and teach. So they let Paul start teaching. They didn't expect that Paul was going to be teaching them something about the Messiah they hadn't expected. And it says an interesting phrase in here. He was reasoning with them and explaining to them why the Messiah must suffer. Now, from us as Christians, we already get that. We know we, we, we at Christmas time, we talked about the suffering service. He was wounded for our transgressions, the suffering servant. He was wounded for our transgressions. We've talked about the last two Sundays here reminding us that Jesus took the penalty for our sins on the cross. We get that. But the Jewish people hadn't understood. They didn't think the Messiah would suffer. In fact, there was a certain uh, a brand of Judaism that believed maybe there were going to be two messiahs. There was going to be one messiah who would come and suffer, and that would prepare the way for the next messiah who would be the king, like King David. And so, so Paul may have been starting to correct their theology, going like, guys, you're looking, you're looking for the right thing, but it's like a magic trick. You're looking at it over here, and you're not seeing what really happened over here. This is what the messiah, Jesus is the messiah who not only suffered for you but also has become king for you in fact that's one of the the things they talked about they're proclaiming a new king what's going on here so paul reasoned with these guys trying to explain them now we do know that paul stayed in the city for a little bit longer than that in philippians chapter 4 paul writes to the philippians he says says i want to thank you for taking care of me for even when i was in thessalonica you sent a gift more than once to take care of my needs so paul was there at least there long enough for two different times, gifts from Philippi to come from the Philippian church to support him there in Thessalonica. And it says also he had to work in Thessalonica, so he worked probably as a tent maker during that time. So just three weeks in the synagogue, that was probably all they could tolerate. By that time, the Jewish people, some of the Jewish people believed, but it says some of the God-fearers believed. And that's sort of an interesting term we've talked about before. God-fearers was the term for people that followed the Jewish religion but didn't want to become fully Jewish. Maybe the men didn't want to get circumcised, or maybe they didn't want to start, uh, they didn't want to identify as Jewish, but they really liked that kind of stuff. And churches have that all the time. I've run into people that, yeah, I've attended this church because I love what they talk about and stuff, but I'm not ready to accept Jesus. So that's where they were. I'm, I, I love all the stuff they're teaching me about God, and I believe it, but I'm not ready to fully commit to Judaism. So that's what the God-fearers were. So as they're going on and talking about this, it says a lot of women believed also. Apparently, from what we know from other writings of this time, Macedonian women experienced a little more freedom than they did in other areas. It mentions several times. And Luke mentions many times the importance of women who supported things that Jesus was doing. And women who followed the first convert in Europe 
was a woman. The very first evangelist, if you think about it, was Mary and the women with her. They were the first ones to witness Jesus rising from the dead. The first people to actually share the good news about Jesus with the world were some women. So I want you to say, even though churches like ours tend to have more men in leadership, though as I mentioned last week, I think I was the only man in leadership up here. Everybody, announcements and, and, and worship and, and other things, all being done by... So, so we try to do that, but I want you to know the Bible never downplays the role of women. All right, so just want you to kind of remember that. But back to the passage here. We're going to stick with that. That was just a little side thing there. So these influential women decide to follow Jesus through the teaching of Paul also. Now, that's a good, faithful response. Last, uh, last Thursday night, I went to the youth group. I like to go there once in a while, and Hunter was teaching the youth, and, and Hunter was talking about the story of the parable of the sower. You know, in the parable sower, there were four kinds of soil. There was the, there was the hard soil that, that didn't bear anything, there was the shallow soil that sprung up quickly, but then it died, had a shallow faith. There was the soil that had a bunch of weeds that choked out the faith. But there was always that good soil that bore fruit, 40, 60, 100-fold, or is it 20, 40, 100-fold? Anyway, what other numbers are there, okay, that, that produced a lot of results. And that's another application for us. Even though we don't see it, anytime we share the gospel with somebody, it has an effect. And there are people, and I've seen so many times where somebody's sharing the gospel with one person, but there's somebody else over here. That person may not accept. I'm not picking on you, Hannah. You just have to be right there in the right spot at the time, okay? I don't know. She's not hard-hearted against Jesus or anything. All right, good, okay. We can talk later, all right? But they may be talking about that, and then somebody over here, Anthony, that might not have a clue who Jesus was, hears it from the first time, and they respond. And I've seen it many times. Somebody they're working with, but when that person walks away, this person says, tell me more of what's going on. Had that happened to me in a park in, the, in Bronx, New York, um, back. I'll share that maybe sometime in another sermon. But I've just seen that happen many, many times before. God's word has power. And the story of Jesus is going to affect some hearts. There's good soil out there ready to hear the message of Jesus and respond to it. And that's what happened here with these people in Berea. So anytime you share with someone about what Jesus has done, there's the possibility that they or someone else will put their trust in Jesus. And you've got to remember that every time. Even if you feel like you got the reaction like the sodium in the water, somebody somewhere might be listening. People respond every day. There are around the world hundreds and hundreds of hearts that turn to Jesus every day. And that next one might be on your cul-de-sac or at your club that you go to or at the park where you go walk your dog or wherever it might be. Just keep that in mind. There are going to be some people that are going to respond to Jesus. But not every, not every response is going to be a faithful response. You're all going to find some hateful responses. And guys, I hate to tell you, it's out there. It will be. So you're going to see some hateful responses. Here's what happened. It says, the Jews became jealous. Now that word jealous is the word zelotas, which we get the word zealous, but also the word jealous comes from. And so, um, so it could have been Jews that were just jealous for Judaism and were offended because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But in the context, it's more likely that they were jealous. And what they were jealous of, the best we can tell is, that Paul was leading some of their people away from the synagogue to following Jesus. Especially since it was God-fearing men and some influential women. So it's, it might have been a situation where these people that are not Jewish 
but had been coming there to the, to the synagogue, their presence there was giving a little bit of, um, of credibility to the synagogue. And they were glad that those people were here. And, you know, we do that all the time. Okay, you guys know I'm a little bit of a nerd, okay? I like Star Trek. It's not the newest one, okay? I'm sorry, the new movie is just horrible, all right, I think. But, but Star, so, so I've been actually watching just for fun, like when I'm paying bills or something, watching some of the old Star Trek stuff and just looking at that kind of stuff. And there was a, does anybody, anybody else Star Trek? Anybody, anybody at all? A few of you? Do you remember uh, 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 Yeoman Jan, uh, Janus? Yeoman, all right? Okay, did you know that she used to be a member at North Point? Just, yeah, she used to be a member at North Point. She passed away about 10 years ago. Lived up in Oakhurst, but she'd come down and she would go to North Point. And I had friends at North Point, and I always thought that was kind of cool. Like, oh, wow, that was cool. There's, unless you're a nerd, you didn't know anybody you know, about it or whatever. I don't know if that's where she became a Christian or not, but that's, um, but that's it. So, so, you know, we like to tell stories like that of who went to that church or whatever like that. And so the Jewish leaders of the synagogue may have felt the same way. And when these God-fearing people that were coming and giving credibility to the synagogue started following Jesus instead, well, they got ticked about it. And guys, happens in churches all the time. I've seen it over and over again. When the hot new church comes around in town, and what happens? Everybody who is a little bit disgruntled with their church flocks to that church. In fact, you guys know my, my, uh, the church I was most recently a member of before coming to this church was Clovis Hills. Because it's it's two blocks from my house, all right? And I know the pastor there and stuff. But I remember when Clovis Hill started. And when it started, it was known as the Disgruntled Baptist Club because everybody who was upset at their church, and we were all like, oh my gosh, that, that's what they did. They took everybody that was just mad at their church and came there and stuff. I don't know that was true or not, okay? So I'm, I'm admitting a fault there. And I know that Sean, the pastor there, will never watch this video. But if you're part of Clovis Hills, you heard it. I'm not talking badly about you, okay? Um, but... I really am nervous today about the video for some reason. I don't know why. But um, so, James, clean it up before you, before you send it out, okay? Make, make me look better, all right? But, but that happens a lot of times. So you'll see it when, when a new church starts, when Cornerstone got big or when the well got big or whoever it might be. The people got suspicious of it. And, and that's just a natural thing. That's what happened here in Berea. So the Bible tells us that's been with people as long as there have been people getting jealous like that. So they wind up forming this mob, and it says they went out to the marketplace, and they got some worthless men, okay? Basically, some local thugs and troublemakers, all right? That's what they went out. They found out where those guys hung out, and they started a mob, just like you've seen a dozen times in the old Western movies, okay? They get the mob riled up, and so, yep, them varmints they're coming to our town changing things around there's going to be a hanging sheriff you know that kind of thing so that's exactly what happened here and they used those guys to start the mob got the mob riled up and went out to abduct the missionaries they were just going to drag them out you know to the to the courthouse okay and and could put them before the before the the magistrates the local government because again thessalonica had a local government didn't have to follow the Rome, all the roman laws when it came to that well they can't find them so they go to this house of this guy named jason now, I said we'd talk about him for a moment, but all we know is this is the only mention of Jason we know. There's another mention of a Jason a little bit later in one of Paul's letters that might be the same guy. So who is this Jason? Two possibilities. One, he could have been the hosts for the missionaries. In Philippi, they stayed with Lydia. So Jason may have been the place where they stayed. They said he stayed at their house. Jason's welcomed them in. We're going to take them out and drag them out. Or Jason might have been the place where their, where their house church was meeting because they didn't have a place to meet they couldn't meet at the synagogue. 
So they would naturally start meeting at somebody's home. So it could have been one of those two things. So they figure that's where the missionaries are. They go hunt for them. And God, in his wisdom, set up an appointment at Starbucks for them or somewhere. So they were out of the house when they got there, all right? And so Jason was, they didn't find him, so they grabbed Jason and hauled him off to the court. It says, and a few of the brothers, and uh, they hauled him off all. Remember, that was a very normal term for Christians back then, brother and sister. So then they make a couple of bizarre accusations against the missionaries. Here's the accusations. First, they said they had upset the whole world. Some translations say they turned the world upside down. I love that. We're going to come back to that later. But this was, this was bizarre because the missionaries weren't causing a ruckus. Who was causing a ruckus? The crowd was, the mob. And so they were like formating this, for, forming this, this trouble and saying, it's not our fault, it's these guys' fault. Again, don't we see that all the time? After every presidential election, the new president comes in, every good thing is because of the wonderful things we've done in my administration, every bad thing's going on. Now we're suffering the consequences of what this previous guy did. You're going to see that. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on, you're going to see that. So we never blame, we never take responsibility for what we do. We blame somebody else. That's exactly what they did. These guys are causing a ruckus. This mob, that's not our fault. That's their fault. So just a bizarre thing. The second accusation they made was, these people were teaching that there was another king, Caesar. Another king instead of Caesar. Now here's what's funny. If they had been listening to the stories of the Messiah, they would have known the missionaries were not advocating the overthrow of Caesar. Nowhere in the Bible do we see them ever saying that. Paul especially wrote many times in his word to obey the government and to pray for the governments. And that governments were established by God. But they also knew that they could twist that to say they were teaching another king. We're going to twist what they were saying there and not talk about the kind of king they were talking about, but the kind of king that's going to scare these guys because they were said, you know what, if Caesar hears that you're preaching another king here, they'll come here and you'll no longer be a free city. You'll wind up having a, 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 governor, a Roman governor put in here and you'll have to follow what he says, not what you say. Now, there may have been one other thing going on at this time, and this is we, we do see this in the Bible, but we don't know that happened here. But we'll tell you, uh, right around this time, the current Roman emperor, whose name was Claudius, had evicted all the Jews from Rome. Um, he just told all of them, you've got to leave Rome. You cannot stay here anymore. Um, and we actually see, see that in the gospel. I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit. But um, in the next chapter, Paul mentions meeting two Jewish people, Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila. And he met them in Corinth. And it says the reason they were in Corinth, they had just come from Rome because Emperor Claudius had kicked out all the Jews. And actually, the Roman historian Suetonius actually records that, that that was actually recorded in extra-biblical stuff, that there was a time that Emperor Claudius, Claudius uh, kicked out all the Jews. And the reason, he says, is because there were riots they were causing because of somebody named Crestus. And here's the funny thing. We don't know who Crestus was. Some people think that was just a misspelling of Christus, and that, that some of the Jewish people who had become Christians at Pentecost went back to Rome, and they had started a, we know there were some Christians in Rome because Priscilla and Aquila were there. So there's a possibility that there was already fights in Rome about following Jesus as Christus. But it's also just as possible that there was a Jewish leader named Crestus that we don't know anything else about that was causing Jewish problems there. At this time, the Roman government did not see any difference between Judaism and Christianity. They were considered the same. So for whatever reason, 
there was all this stuff about we're not sure if we can trust the Jews. So they had the Jews kicked out of Rome, and so if the Jewish people were causing problems in Thessalonica, then the magistrates might have to come up and do something about it. So they were saying, no, it wasn't us. It was these guys, these missionaries. They were the ones doing it. They are causing problems. And they twisted what the, what the Christians were saying. Now, here's the interesting thing. Ever since the first, Christ, first century, Christians have been accused of crazy things by twisting our teaching. For example, I mentioned that the early church, and it says here they were talking about brothers and sisters. Okay? And, and in fact, years ago, I was raised in a church where everybody, the pastor was never called Pastor Daryl, it was Brother Daryl. I was raised at that, all right? That, that it was Brother so and so. And they referred, we don't see that very much anymore. That used to be really common. And so one of the accusations brought against the early Christians was incest, because they're marrying brothers and sisters. They're all related and they're, and they're getting married, and that's just crazy. And they actually got some criticism for it. Another one they got, got, got uh, accused of is cannibalism. Any ideas why Christians might be accused of cannibalism? Because of communion. Because we're taking the body and blood of Jesus. Now, if you had communion with us a couple of weeks ago, you know that we don't actually believe that was the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. It's symbolic. When we take the grape juice, it reminds us that Jesus' blood was spilt for us on the cross we take that bread, it reminds us of his body. It's something Jesus told us to do, but it reminds us. It's symbolic, but they were accused of cannibalism because of that. So it happens all the time that Christians get accused of things like that. In fact, just this week, I was, okay, guys, I need to get off the internet completely, all right? But I, I ran across a video of Neil deGrasse Tyson. You guys know, okay? And Neil deGrasse Tyson was saying he did not think religious people should be allowed in laboratories or classrooms if they believe that God designed the universe. And he was explaining all the reasons why the design of the universe is stupid. It's not intelligent design. And Christians who believe that, he said, I don't want them in the laboratory or the classroom. And he was twisting a lot of the teaching that we, that we talk about. Twisting totally. I saw another video by Samantha B that claimed that Christians are against abortion for political reasons only and got all these Christians that said, no, there's nothing in the Bible that really talks about abortion. And the word abortion is not, it's true, it's not mentioned in the Bible, but twisting our teaching to try to get other things. So it happens all the time. So we're going to come back to these accusations later. Well, i got to hurry here, all right? I do not want to go overtime today. All right, so back to the story. When they couldn't find the missionaries, here's what they did. It says they took a security deposit, a bond from Jason. Now, this was not a fine but what they basically did is they said, Jason, you've got to put up money to make sure that Paul and his companions are not going to cause any more trouble in Thessalonica. Now, this was insidious. It was genius, in fact. But let's look at what it did. In 1 Thessalonians 2.17, Paul writes this. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, but not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face, so we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. That might be what Paul was talking about there, that he wasn't allowed to come in because they, they got this genius idea. We had already seen, if they had said, Paul, if you come back, you're going to be thrown in prison, would that have stopped Paul? No, Paul was a crazy man in a good way. He was like, throw me in prison, I'll just sing praises and we'll, and we'll get the jailer saved, all right? That's just, that's just, I get a captive audience if I get to go to prison, all right? No pun intended there. I mean, really. So that was, that was his deal. You know, that would keep it. But if he said to one of the new believers, if Paul comes back and causes you problems, you're going to lose a lot of money and maybe your house. 
I could see Paul going like, Jason, I'm not going to do that to you, so we'll leave. That was a genius way of doing that. They knew exactly how to motivate Paul in a bad way. So Paul, once again, had to pack up and head to another city so that he would not cause problems for the church he was. So that brings us to another city, and we're going to see a third response that I see, and I call this one the thoughtful response. Yeah, I know those are a little bit silly, but I, I like the way they sound together, okay? Maybe you can remember that. Faithful, hateful, and thoughtful together. So overnight, Paul, the believers hustled Paul and Silas and Timothy down to Berea. Now, Berea was not on the Ignatian Road. It was off the beaten path. It, in some ways, it was kind of like Fresno. Do you know that Fresno is the largest city in, in, in the U.S. that is not served by an interstate highway? Yeah, there's no city larger than us that does not have an interstate. And so they're just like, oh, that's just Fresno, who cares, all right? So that's how the federal government may feel about it. So, it, so Berea was considered off the beaten path. It wasn't worth building a road to. So um, why did Paul veer off the main road then? Why didn't he keep going towards Rome? Well, we just found out already. The Jews had been kicked out, so he couldn't go to Rome. So he thinks, hmm, instead of going to Rome, then I'll head down to the big cities down at Corinth and Athens in Greece, where we can actually do some more ministry there. That was very similar to Paul's strategy. So once again, Paul gets there and he goes to the synagogue and he received a positive response. But this time it was a little bit different. He said the Bereans not only took time to listen to this visiting teacher, but they went back to the Bible, the Old Testament, to make sure what Paul was telling them was the truth. And as a result, even more people became believers in Jesus. And again, it was the Greeks who believed more than the Jews. And then, just like in Lystra, Timothy's hometown, Jews came from another city, this time from Thessalonica, and caused problems. They traveled 45 miles south just to stir up another mob to get Paul kicked out of Berea also. Now, here's the difference between Berea uh, um, and Thessalonica. Both people respond, but it says it was more thoughtful in Berea. Now, that may not seem like a big deal today, but it was a big deal that they went back to the Old Testament and studied because today we have knowledge everywhere. In fact, younger people, you know, you're the first generation that's grown up. All right? If you're in your, your mid 30s or younger, you're the first generation that's grown up that did not need an adult to access information. Like when I was when I was a kid, man, if I wanted to learn how to, you know, build a cannon because I wanted to scare the neighbor's cat or something, I had to go to the library and start looking stuff up, and it probably wasn't in the library. Now, people can find out how to build a nuclear bomb on the internet. stuff. It's just crazy, the information you get. In fact, a lot, you're never going to know the joy of waiting to learn something, okay? Of discovering something, because now you go like, you know, I, I started to say, okay, Google or Siri, but then all your phones are going to go off if I say it too loud, all right? So I don't want to do that. But, you know, and find it out automatically right away. So we don't, we don't get that. But they had to, so they went back and they looked at the scripture. But here's another, and again, Today it's different. I know in the time I've been here, I'm sure that some of you have fact-checked some of my sermons right during here right now. Like, that's what he said, is that real? And you guys were looking up somebody like this. And it happens all the time. I, listen, I, I haven't gotten a lot of this, but I've gotten it before, and I know the pastors have, that they'd get an email later that says, well, pastor, about your sermon, John MacArthur says this. Or they're cornered after the worship, saying, worship service with a hearty, you know, John Piper says you're wrong. And if you don't know who John MacArthur and John Piper are, they're both nice, nice guys, but consider yourself blessed. If you don't, don't worry about them right now, okay? They're not bad people. 
Just don't worry. Or if you're older, Jay Vernon McGee is the other one we get sometime, okay? So now I'm not criticizing any of those guys, but I'm just saying they weren't preaching to this church. Their interpretation was, was based on what their church did at that time, what God was speaking to in their church. And there can be different points and different things out of the Bible there. So anyway, but here's the difference with the Bereans. They didn't have the Internet. They had to go back to the synagogue. They didn't have Bibles at home. The scrolls were all at the synagogue. So they weren't doing this by themselves. They were studying God's Word in the Old Testament together. And that's really important. I really want to encourage you guys to study your Bibles at home, to have your devotional time at home. I want to encourage you to do that. I think that's something important to do every day. But it's not the only way to do it. To study together is a part of that, and that brings us to another application, a side thing, but I'm going to say it very, because I think it's important. Studying the Bible on your own is good, but doing it together is even better. So I want to encourage all of you, and I mean all of you, to really think hard about being a part of our men's and women's studies that are coming up in September. Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching the sermon so I could tell you about this, okay? It fits the sermon, so I want to say this is important here with this, okay? And so I know it's a, it's a big deal. We're doing it on Wednesday nights. It'll go from 7 to 8.30. The women have told me it might go longer, but you can leave at 8.30 and nobody's going to get mad at you, okay? But so the women will meet in here. The men will meet over in Kidsville, which may or may not be appropriate. I don't know. Um, and then we'll, we'll split into some smaller groups afterwards, but we've got some great studies going on. But the main thing is it's going to do two things. It's going to increase your knowledge about Romans 8 for the men and Psalms for the women. Again, that's sort of, the men are doing one chapter, and the women are doing 50 cha- 150 chapters. I don't know, what is that? There's more chapters in Psalm than there are verses in Romans 8. So, so guys, we've got to step it up. We've got to dig deep in Romans 8, all right? But it's also going to help us build relationships here and help us learn from each other together. So I want to encourage all of you to encourage you to be a part of it, okay? Really, nobody's going to make you say anything you don't want to say or anything like that, but really that's the way the Bereans learned together at the synagogue. Let's dig into the Bible together here as a church. Yes, we dig into it in a sermon, but it's just one way. You're not getting to talk back to me. So this is a different kind of Bible study. I want to encourage you to be that. There's a sign-up sheet back in guest services. It's been in the newsletter last week. It'll be in the newsletter next week. Just a QR code. You just scan it with your phone. It takes you right to the thing to get there. And Hunter will tell us about like that in the announcements, right? You'll remind us of that. Okay, cool. So back to the scripture now, okay? We're almost done, guys. I'm a little bit over time. I'm a minute and a half over time. Sorry. All right, so let's get back to the scripture. So Paul packs up in a hurry and heads to a new town. But in each of the towns he left, he also left believers and a new church. And though we do not have a letter to the Bereans in the Bible, we do have a letter to Thessalonica and to Philippi. And we know he left churches there. And next he goes to Athens and then to Corinth. And we know he wrote two letters to Corinth. So we know that God's word established churches there at that point. So, we're going to look next week at him coming to Athens. But right now, let's return, I said, just for a moment, to the accusations leveled against the missionaries in Thessalonica. Remember, they made two claims. First, that they upset the whole world. Second, that they were saying there's another king. Now, here's the really funny thing about it. They were accusing the disciples, the missionaries, of upsetting the world. And they hadn't at that point. But they were planning to. And they did. They upsetting in a way they didn't even think would happen. 
Christianity has changed the face of this planet. In some ways, people can say like, oh, the Christians had the crusades, they did this and this and stuff. I'm telling you, over the history of the world, God has created more change positively for this world through Christians than anything else. See, what well, Christians supported slavery. Yes, at one point Christians did. So did everybody else in the world. But when, the, when slavery was done away with, Christians took the lead in that. Okay, and just, you could think example after example after example. And people say, well, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, think Christians are anti-science. So many of the scientific advances of this world were done by Christians trying to understand the movement of the hand of God. In fact, in Proverbs it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. And Christians ought to approach this world and have historically of saying, God's done wonderful things out there, and we're going to look for God's hand. We're going to see what he's done. And so some of the greatest scientists have been Christians. Not all of them. I'm not saying that non-Christians have not done anything. And there's a lot of things. Algebra was done by non-Christians, by Muslims, and I'm going to give them credit for that. But Christians have changed the face of this world and have upset the world. And while I'm saying to you now that if we're going to continue what they're doing, we should be trying to overthrow the world's concept of who God is, of what humanity is like, of what heaven and salvation are like. We should be trying to overthrow and turn upside down the whole concept of the purpose of life. That's the amazing thing there. Because really the truth is, Christians are not trying to turn the world upside down like they accused. The world is upside down because of sin. We're working to turn it back the way it needs to be the way God created it. And so they were doing that and changing all things around with a whole different concept. Look at this slide right here I want to show you too. All right, let's see if we can go to that next one. Maybe. There we go. This is my concept of religion. It's people trying to reach God. That, is what re that was the world's concept of religion. But hit it again. This is what Christianity is. We can't reach God, but in Jesus, in his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, it was God reaching down to us saying, hey, I'm going to help you. You can't do this. I'm going to do it. That's what we're changing in this world. The world is full of people out there trying to prove themselves and trying to reach up to become something better. And we're trying to say to them, grasp the hand of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you move forward. Look at the next slide, too. I want to do one more little thought here, okay? That we're getting rid of religion. That Christianity is really about a relationship. We're not trying to earn God's favor. We're saying, God, we're, we know you created us. You sent Jesus to redeem us. We're accepting the relationship you're offering us. That is what we're trying to do there. To try to do, do right with every religion and replace it with a relationship with God, the Creator, and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to die on our place on the cross. The other accusation they said was they were preaching another king, one that would replace Caesar. That was wrong. They were not preaching a king who would replace Caesar. They were preaching a king who would supersede Caesar. A king who would reign forever, not just in this world, but in the next. Jesus is the king who does what every other king and ruler should do, but can't. 
and that is to save us from our sins and help us to become more than we, than we could ever be without this king. And that's the same message our church proclaims today. This world is dying, and to, this messed up, and to the messed up people of this world, our world looks normal. But we're saying we're turning it right back the way it should be. Our message is to help take this broken, already upside-down world and turn it right-side up. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives, God helps us to heal the brokenhearted, to heal relationships, broken relationships, to reclaim purpose in our lives, and to deal with the disappointments, the hurts, and sadness because we know we have a God who loved us enough to save us from our sins and give us a Holy Spirit to live with us forever. So what do I want you to do about this? Here's your response. I want you first to look for opportunities to tell people about Jesus, even if it means walking 100 miles. Second, don't be surprised by hateful responses or even be afraid of hateful responses. In 1 Peter 4.12, it says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual are happening to you. Here's the deal. We say that, you know what? We say we get a better life with Jesus, but it's not an easy life. Jesus says, you follow me? You're going to get some fiery ordeal. You're going to get some criticism. You're going to get some people in your face. You're going to get some people who don't like you. Don't be surprised at that. That's just normal when you're following me. But you follow me, and we'll turn the world back the way it was meant to be. Third, I want to encourage you to spend time together in the Bible, not just alone. If you can't be a part of these Bible studies, then catch us the next round. But I want to encourage you to start at this time to create a new habit. And then finally, it's not on the slide here, but finally I want to say to you, as I say always, if you have not accepted Jesus, his sacrifice, if you've not said to him, Lord, I know my sins put you on the cross, and I want to really make you Lord of my life, to save me from our sins, if you have not done that, then I want you to talk to Hunter or me or Red or Anthony or, or, or Terry or any of our leaders here. Talk to us later. We want to share with you how you can make that happen and how Jesus can be your Lord and Savior and how your world can begin to turn right side up. Let's pray.